Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, you have found another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast. God knows there are so many podcasts that you can listen to. Back when I started the show six and a half years ago, and at that time the show was called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, back when I started the show, yeah, there were a lot of podcasts, but there weren't as many as they are now. Let's face it, over the last couple of years, everyone who breathes air has started their own podcast, and it's only gotten worse during the pandemic. So the fact that you have chosen to put your attention here on this show makes me very, very happy. Maybe it's the first time you've been here. Maybe it's the 600th plus episode that you've been here. Either way, I do this show to talk about business and growth and how you can make waves in your career. And today, we're gonna talk about all of that because today, we have a guest who I met on the Clubhouse app. Now, you've heard me talk about that a couple of times in recent episodes. Uh, The Clubhouse app is a brand new audio-only drop-in app where people go in and share ideas and have conversations that fits right in with my theme that conversations don't have scripts because you never know what you're going to get when you drop into Clubhouse. And the other day, I came into a room. It started off small. It got a lot bigger. And I started talking with Scott. And Scott Martin is the guy who was hosting the room. And and we sort of hit it off. He was kind of one of these people where I'm like, oh my God, I have to know this guy. And by the end of about an hour together, I'm like, nope, I have to interview this guy because everyone who listens to my show needs to know Scott Martin. So his company is Sustainable Growth Marketing, but he has a super eclectic background. He has worked for big companies, big brands. He started his own companies. He sold his own companies. And now he has an agency that really, he he works with companies and their founders to help them create massive growth. Now think about that. If you own a company or you work for a company, and I could tell you, I have an introduction to somebody who can help you create massive growth. Would you be like, no, Tom, I don't want you to, do not introduce me to that person. No way. We all want massive growth. And that's what Scott Martin is all about. So Scott, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Given that the title is Making Waves at Sea Level, I just have to say aloha. Because <laughs> if you see my backdrop on, on Zoom right now, it's definitely in my, my vein. Actually, my business is called Groundswell. Uh, sustainable growth marketing is, is sort of my unique point of difference. So uh, that's where we share the surfing connection right there when I saw the name of your title. So. Yeah. In fact, if, if you could see him right now, we're only audio, but if you could see him, there's like a palm tree in his office. And behind that, I see at least three surfboards. Uh, and I stalked him a little bit on uh, Instagram and the guy grew up surfing. So uh you and just, a hammock, actually. He's got I a hammock my, back there, too. The so, hammock is actually where I do our clubhouse. When we run the clubhouse, I'm in the hammock. I get totally in Zen state, totally focusing on what people are saying. It's awesome. So, so I stalked you on Instagram. You used to be like like surfer boy with the golden long locks. I did. Yeah. When I was 18, I left. Instead, of my all my friends went to college, and I decided that I was going to pursue a, a semi. I wanted to pursue a, a professional uh, windsurfing career. And I moved to Hawaii. I moved to the North Shore. That, that That's awesome. And, and I would like everybody to just take a moment and listen. Some of you may have said, there's such a thing as a professional windsurfing career. Uh, but as I've learned in my it's career. It's one that never happened. Well, 
<laughs> but as I've learned, there's a career for everything. I love people who have like niche careers, even if they're just part time or whatever. Uh, my brother has the best niche business. And I mean, he's supported a family, raised two kids, owns a house outside of New York City. He has supported his entire life for 30, maybe 40 years as a saxophone repairman. And by the way, not just a saxophone repairman. He is New York City's premier saxophone repairman and people are like you can make a living doing that and i'm like oh yeah a really good living because the saxophone the saxophone's kind of a funky instrument that has a lot of moving parts and they get broken a lot so uh, uh if you ever need a saxophone repaired and you live in the new york area you probably already know bill singer uh but we digress today we're not talking about my brother we're talking about scott martin so scott i gave you a little introduction but can you give us a little bit more of your history and what you do now with groundswell yeah, so now with Groundswell, I've I've shifted into just consulting with uh, founders, um, and what I've what I've identified over doing branding, marketing, and strategy over the years is I found patterns in some uh, processes that I think are repeatable that have made massive impact. Now I've been known as a growth hacker, which is it means I know how to make massive growth. But what is different and what I've uh, my, my sort of discipline in my book, I'm actually writing a book that will be out this spring called Groundswell. It's about creating a sustainable growth. And if you think of a groundswell, it's like a wave. So we're talking, this is a wave show. Uh, uh, groundswell is something that's created from a massive storm way out in the middle of the ocean. And the reason it's a groundswell is as it gets closer to land, the ocean, the waves start working together. And it looks like from the air, it looks like corduroy or it looks like these beautiful marching band heading towards the ocean and or to the land. And if you're a surfer, it's what you dream for, right? Because they're really powerful, really succinct and really organized waves from chaos, which is the storm, which is all waves are created from, from windstorms. So and the other side of that is groundswell is like a movement, like Black Lives Matter. Like it's a movement that comes in uprising. It comes from the ground floor up. So those, both those metaphors are kind of what I do for growth is how can a business, an organization create exponential growth, meaning more, more output, more growth with less effort over time. And so in order to do that, there's like um, techniques that growth hackers have used, but they're usually intermittent. They don't last very long, they're like windstorms. So, and so I know all those tricks, but what I've seen is the real lasting change is like almost like the, my first chapter of my first book is called Patience is the New Growth Hack. What I try to teach uh, founders is to be patient to methodically create my four-step process for creating a groundswell. And it involves a couple of key components. And those four steps really are, I break it down into build, give, grow, and transform. And just to loosely explain that is, uh, it used to be Don Peppers, one of the famous uh, marketers is called get, grow, keep. That's how most marketers go. They go get customers, they grow customers, they keep customers. I've taken that and I used that for years and I modified that because what I noticed is everybody is so anxious to get customers, but they don't do the things that put in place where you actually can create, once you get to a certain point, you don't scale. And I saw that as being a cap. I see these people put all this inertia and energy and momentum, and they would stop and they have to go back and relook at their processes or systems. So build is the build phase. And it's also, it's building an audience before you have to. If you, if anybody has been, you know, thinks about this is that I, for, for my whole career, usually what happens is somebody will come to me and go, I have a product. Can you sell it? I need to find our audience. And I think that's backwards. I think it's what I've, what I'm trying to teach uh, businesses and business founders is find your people and sell to them. So it's a little bit like build a dig a well before you're thirsty, build an audience, build demand. Um, Clubhouse is a great way of building demand for your interest by, because of, of the words they hear and the, the relationships you build well in advance of doing the work that's built. The next phase is instead of get, I believe give is the new get. 
when we on Clubhouse, we were giving value. That's now getting attention. It's now getting value. You're now getting um, uh, momentum. You're going to see, my prediction will be that this will be the way business is done. You will not be able to get business without giving massive value. And the why I say that is, if you think of right now, if you're trying to get customers, you're seeing more ads that are actually advertising a free download, a free give. And and if you've ever downloaded one of those, if it ever doesn't feel like it was good value, they weren't really giving. They were just sort of using it to get it. So the intention behind it was more just to get. My belief is give is when you truly at the intention that the source of your business is about the helping people and making people's lives different. And if you actually make sure that that give is almost so valuable, you would charge for it. When Tom and I were on um, this uh, four-hour version of, of Clubhouse, the amount of consulting dollars I could charge for the for the sessions that we're in would be phenomenal. I mean, I, that's what I get paid to do, but I'm giving it away. What I'm finding is I'm building deeper relationships. So give is the new get. Like you think of just maybe turning that around. The next stage is grow, which is really all it is for growth is think of it as a different way of growing. Everybody thinks of grow as being, I'm going to spend more energy, more, more money on ads. What growth to me is being frictionless, creating a seamless experience, make it super shareable, and also look at your product and how your product in your, in your systems can naturally create more rhythm, more momentum. It's about momentum building to be able to create growth like Dropbox, right? Dropbox changed from advertising dollars to giving more space when people shared their, their Dropbox. That's a version of the new ideology of how you make your product and your growth. It's called the growth loop, how a growth loop can maintain and create more momentum for you. And the last stage is the most important. And all these ones, I've sort of seen these patterns with other businesses like Tony Robbins. This last one is very articulate with Tony Robbins. It's basically it's transform. Transform takes three different stages. And think of this in terms of any business. If you look at the the elements of value ladder, if you understand branding, which is like very foundational, um, transactional at the bottom, then emotional, and then aspirational. Think of um, this as being a little bit like that, which is on the first, if I were to go and buy something, you moved me. You moved me to actually pull my wallet out and to buy something. That's very internal. I want to share it to many people, whatever it's, but you moved me. That's, That's transactional. But if you changed me, means if I worked with Tom and he changed the way that my language was and how I want to pitch myself, or I changed you to think differently about growth, or I think, do you think differently about purpose, then that might be something we're going to share with someone else. It's a little more external. So when in a business like marketing is like being an agent of change, if your business changes people's behavior, your software that changes the way that people look at productivity or whatever, then you've accomplished that. The next stage is the holy grail, is transform. When you transform somebody, you you don't just change their behavior. You transform the way that they think and they do. When you get to that that level of being able to achieve that, they are going to be compelled to share with other people. And that creates that little, you just keep following that loop, that build, give, grow, transform. And that creates the ultimate groundswell. And so people like Tony Robbins and other businesses I've seen create massive momentum and they're not spending extra money on marketing. Um, that's the That's the patterns that I've seen. Wow. I think everybody needs to rewind and just listen to that all again, because I took like a page of notes while you were talking and and I'm the interviewer. But uh, I think that's awesome. But I want to back up to something that you just sort of breezed over before you got into the the build, give, grow, transform. And that was you said patience is the no growth hack. Now, what's so interesting about that is we live in a world where and on, you know, on Clubhouse and other places you go, everybody's like in room saying become a millionaire by four o'clock Friday. 
Uh, patience isn't something that a lot of entrepreneurs, especially information entrepreneurs and people seem to have. Everybody expects that they're going to be that outlier who becomes, you know, this huge social influencer, you know, by a week from Friday. And the truth is, is that most of the successful people I know, they're that overnight success that took 10 years. So when you say patience is the new growth hack, what do you mean by that? Let's let's unpack that a little bit. It's exactly that is how many times have I've seen what's the the representation of out there, whether it's books, because they sell, get there quicker. It's all about getting there sooner, sooner faster and better. Uh, but they, a lot of times what's missed is what went into to getting to that venture. Like, for example, um, how many ventures I've gone through. I've gone through so many failed ventures, partnerships to get to Groundswell. Um, but those don't, Groundswell's only been around for, you know, three, four years. But I, the other 24 years led up to this, right? So there's like all this backstory in anyone's story, usually. In terms of a business itself, when Pace New Growth Hack, it's also you got to think about when you go and you actually think of, of when you think long-term. So if you think long-term about anything, you think long-term about your business. If you go, I'm in business and this business is going to last 100 years, you will do, act, and think and strategize very differently than going, I need to flip this in, in a year or two and I'm going to grow. Just that alone, the systems you build, the people you invest in, the way that you communicate, that changes everything. And I believe that actually creates more rapid growth, but initially the on-ramp is a little slower. So patience to me is something that it's not sexy. It's not interesting to people, but really it's the reality of if you really want to make something meaningful, I'm not looking for someone that just wants to do something, uh, you know, rapid growth and just sell a single product on Amazon. That's not who I'm speaking to. If you aim to make impact, patience is the new growth hack. If you're willing to be patient, you can create massive impact. So, you know, it's interesting because I've for the last 12 years up until March of 2020, I made all of my money in what I call a traditional speaker business. I was a professional speaker. I would go into an association or company. I would be the keynote speaker or the master of ceremonies for an event and I'd get a check. And, you know, the sideline of that is everybody said, oh, you should diversify. What if something happens? And I was like, like what? Like a global pandemic would shut down live meetings. Never really crossed my mind. So uh, I've, I've had to get uh, a little more clever over the past 10 months. However, I started my speaking business. It didn't happen. It, I wasn't making what I made in corporate America in three weeks. It took me, I did it part-time for several years and it took me another year full-time grind before I even came close to making enough to live on. And, and then once I crossed that barrier, it lasted for another you know, 11 years where I was earning what I would earn as a corporate marketing executive or more. But what's interesting is people would call me and be like, I want to do what you do. So we'd have coffee or a phone call. And I would talk about the fact that it, you know, it took a long time to build a reputation and, and you know, get the, the things in place to have a business like I had. And they're like, oh, no, there's this course I can sign up for that says that I'll be making six figures, you know, in three months. And this one guy and I talked about it and I said, then go do the course because I can't teach you. I don't I don't know how. You know, I know how to do it in three years, but I don't know how to do it in three months. And he called me three years later and he said, yeah, so would you work with me now? Because nothing happened for three years because he was trying to do it without patience. And it if for three years he had had patience, I think he could have established a beachhead. But all these get rich quick things for small solopreneurs, but also for big companies, I think derails it. So you work with a lot of growth oriented founders what derails them? Oh, that that's an interesting question. You know, what derails them or what's usually before they come to me, they usually come to me because they want rapid growth. And what derails them, or at least the initial focus I see either 
people that have not achieved sustainable growth is they're not congruent with their own values and they don't have something that they're passionate about within the business. When you get the leader owner visionary to connect with the business in a deeper way and have a bigger vision for their business and it's congruent, it's that energy that gives to the team, the people, something that 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 no design of strategy can can beat, in my opinion. It, because think of anything, if you want to create a movement, you need a leader, right? If you want to create a groundswell, it's a distributed leadership, right? Because it's not just centralized. It can be like it now is sort of uprising. So I believe that the new marketing is culture. So for leaders to actually spark culture, because they're the ones that are interacting every day within with your clients, uh, I believe that their culture is going to replace marketing almost entirely, maybe not entire, totally, but like and significantly, because you look now, if you're working for a distributed organization now with COVID working on Zoom, how many people are now actually starting having content being produced by their staff, um, you know, on different applications, stuff on, on the business's behalf, because they don't, can't do high production marketing that they did before. That to me just pushed the, it just pushed what was inevitable anyways. And I think that that voice of, of having customers at the forefront, in order to get that to where they're actually congruent and aligned, they want to be pointing to the same North Star. So a North Star isn't just going with more revenue. A North Star is a metric that everybody can connect to. So a North Star in terms of growth hacking tends to be, for example, like for myself, it's more subscribers. What it means to me, in order to get someone to subscribe, I have to have done certain things in the organization to map that. The reason that is you create a North Star that everybody can understand what it is, it galvanizes them. Because the person who's like, whether it's a receptionist or the frontline salesman, if it's just a number or it's an abstract sort of like uh, goal, the whole organization can't work in a unified way. And so what it also means is that you got to think about if you have a bigger vision of impact, what is the feeling you want consistently with all your customer interactions. Um, what is that feeling? It's called a brand mantra. By you describing that, people know how to make, people don't remember what you say, but they remember how you made them feel. And so across the organization, if culture is the new marketing, if they understand the feeling that you want your customers to have, they will do things. For example, if it's the feeling is that was easy. If that was the case, then then your your team is going to innovate going, how can we make this easier for our clients, less seamless, more better customer experience, whether it's product design or the person on the front line. So to me, what I'm what I'm seeing is congruency of a couple of these things that are more about pointing the whole organization in a direction of impact. And the owner being so jazzed about it because he's focused on the outcome of impacting the world, not on making sales and business growth. That will the growth of the business sales will go with it. So I love that idea that the culture is the new marketing, but culture is one of those words that is, you know, it's sort of hard to lasso. It's hard to get mm-hmm. get your rope around it and, and pull it in. And we know that all companies, you know, nobody ever claims like when they're trying to hire people, our culture sucks. Everybody claims they have good culture, but you and I have both worked for a lot of companies in our day. Some of them had good culture. Some of them had indifferent culture and some of them had a culture that downright sucked. So what can, what can a, manager, an owner, uh, anybody in a leadership position, someone in the C-suite, what can they do to influence culture? And, and, you know, is it something you only know when you see it? So this is where I probably have a very controversial point of view. I don't believe the management and leaders, they do in their own little particular areas, they will naturally, if they're a good leader, they will create uh, impact with them because they will, they will be a leader and they will find something that drives the team. 
a product team going, our vision is to make the product better. That's a vision. That's an actual outcome. And that's impact. So that little pod will do it. That's what happens right now within little pockets of the organization. What I'm saying is in order for those middle managers to be effective and everybody to create this is it's like a movement. It's like a groundswell. It's like we all realize that we want to change the world and make water available to you know, every person in, in, in the, the continent of Africa. That is, if, if you were to think of it altruistically, that is actually what everybody can get behind. And that creates that momentum and that direction that we're talking about. I don't believe, um, at least the, from my perspective, that when someone says they have a great culture, they may have pockets of it, but that's because they, they're directionless. Like, because they look at Tesla, Tesla's huge fucking direction. That is a vision. It doesn't have to be about saving the world, but in a way he is, he's about exploring the world. People are really aligned with that in terms of his organization. So to me, I think it comes, it starts with the owner leader, the visionary leader, the core, and then it goes down from there. If they're not aligned on some bigger impact, I just don't believe you can have the level that I'm referring to, but that doesn't mean you can't be successful. There's tons of them that are successful without it. I'm just talking about businesses with deep purpose. So it's interesting. You said something and it popped into my head, the musical Hamilton, which uh, I had a teenage daughter when that came out several years. I still have a teenage daughter. She's just now 19, where she was like mm-hmm. 13 when the musical first came out. And so we heard that uh, the the audio of that musical in my house about 400 times. Uh, and we've seen it as a family three or four times. Uh, and you said something and there's a line early on that it's not the moment, it's the movement. And, you know, so, you know, that brings me to the fact of, okay, it's the movement and it's about having that bigger thing and the leaders going for it. And, but how does someone do that? I mean, I mean, if you're, if you've got a company, you're working with these companies on, on how they're, you know, uh, you know, getting their, 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 the owner to create that massive growth. Mm-hmm. How do you get the owner to understand the movement? What, what advice do you give? Yeah. So they're motivated by growth. So I, if you think of it like a, think of it about focus, this, like if you had like a, a circle and you had the same amount of energy, we'll say it's hundred units of energy and you had 10 at 10 going in different directions, that doesn't have a lot of focus. It has like this, it's, it's distributed energy. But if you have all of that hundred going into one direction, you can go deep and you can go far. I try to use that as analogy going by you galvanizing everybody in the same direction of outcome doesn't mean you have different lines of business. You can have the same outcome, same direction, same impact that you want to have. You're going to be able to have less money on the other side of this because they're motivated by how can I do this bigger, better, and cheaper? Um, and I demonstrate that they basically will also, a most important thing, which is they'll create fulfillment along the way. It's not always about money. It's sometimes what I find anyways is with for founders and for the leaders is to go, what fulfills me along the way? And now with these new kids that are millennium kids, they, they're they way ahead of us. Like they're, they're already going, well, what's your purpose in the business? Like, they, like the questions they're asking are questions that I never would have thought to ask at their age. And I'm so more proud of this generation because they care more about that. I think that that is a sign that we are changing the consciousness of how businesses need to be functioning. So Scott, I've got a few more questions for you, but first I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in business, like Scott Martin. 
hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do, because I said earlier, everyone does, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Scott, what are you doing in business, either for your own company or for your clients to shake things up? How are you making waves? How am I making waves? Well, I think first and foremost is I'm actually focused on uh, creating massive value by uh, putting myself out there and giving. And that's probably, I'm, I'm basically the whole, the four steps that I gave you, I'm living, eating, breathing it so that it becomes very meta. It becomes very uh, honest. Like I call it eating your own dog food. So I believe that I'm making waves because in the area that I'm making waves is really helping underscore the value and the potential growth, the outcome. Most people, when they think of altruistically of like, well, you need to do good in the world. They have this, there's like a, something in your brain and going, well, you know, that can't make a whole lot of money. What I'm doing and changing the world is how you, that actually is more, it creates more rapid, sustainable growth. And my mission is to help entrepreneurs get off of unsustainable activities, such as reliance on social channels or paid marketing. To me, if you do these things, that's what gets you off of paid marketing. If you do these things, it will grow on its own. If you do these things, your business is more like an ecosystem, more resilient and impervious to changes, and you're actually more adaptable to changes. So I believe that the waves I'm making is to be the antidote to all the traditional advertising and marketing methodologies that are unsustainable. So one of the things you're doing right now, and this is how we met, is you're giving a lot of ideas and content and just basically free consulting, if you will, on Clubhouse. So when did you get on Clubhouse? I did a whole episode a few weeks back about what is Clubhouse. Uh, mm -hmm. But here's what I've been telling everybody. Clubhouse has put the social back in social media because I can't tell you the last time when Twitter was new, it had kind of that same vibe. You wanted to meet other people, but it's been a decade since LinkedIn or Facebook or anything where I've had real outreach from people who say, let's jump on a call or let's have our own, you know, our own little sidebar conversation. Uh, you know, in LinkedIn, you get all these all these emails from people who are trying to sell you something that basically say, oh, you know, let's find a way to collaborate or, you know, whatever. And there's nothing there's no real behind it. There's no real. Hey, let's you and I build a relationship. There's let me sell you shit. Uh, but on Clubhouse, there's a lot of people doing what you're doing, what I'm doing, who are hosting rooms, sharing information. But then you're meeting people. You're you're one of I've only been on it three weeks. You're one of about a dozen people who I've met, who I've said, wow, I want to grow an offline friendship with this person. And so you're giving, you're doing that give piece. You're educating people, you're sharing. Uh, what are your thoughts on Clubhouse? That was a long intro to this question. What are your thoughts on Clubhouse? And for bigger, more established companies, is there any there there? So the first part of that question was, what is Clubhouse and perhaps what it is to me is Clubhouse, I agree with your uh, description. I think it's a really interesting one that it's social back in the social. What I'd also sort of and say is that unlike social media, any other any other platform, there's zero benefit to amassing a following. And in fact, you really can't really do a massive following unless you're adding something of value in the conversation. I believe because it's conversational, you're listening and, and you're focused and you're present because it's not recorded. You have to be present to be actually hearing. And if you're a charlatan and you don't have any depth, you will not go very far. 
if you have depth, you have something to say and you can articulate, not to someone, not to say that anyone should be fearful if they don't, if they don't feel like they're in their mastery, that's okay. What people want to hear is genuineness. I've, I've heard people that showed up on my stage and asking question and I'm like, they're, they're new and they're nervous. And I'm like, Oh my God, you're going to be huge. You just have, you just need to lean into your, you know, to, into your process. You need to follow through and just give it patience and time, you know, but you can hear in the voice. So what I would say is it's something different because you're hearing the voice and it feels more intimate, even more so than video, because I heard from someone that was, I think it was in the day you were in Tom, the guy that did the PhD on audio. He says that humans actually can detect um, lying deception or, um, uh, you know, anything of that nature, more so when it's audio only than any other modality, which I thought was weird because I thought if you had more senses, you'd have more more tools. I, but the I, actually, is- I actually agree because I think that's one of the reasons podcasts do so well and video podcasts don't. Part of that is the commitment to what you're doing. If I'm watching a video, I have to sit here and watch the video where I can listen to a podcast when I'm out for a run, while I'm driving somewhere, while I'm at the gym. However, I also think that there's that that intonation in someone's voice where you're like, I like Scott. And I've actually was in an elevator in New Jersey and I said, hold, please hold the door for me. And they, these two guys turn around and go, and the one guy goes, you're, you're groundswell. <laughs> and I was like, for the first time and only time in my life, I was like, someone actually knows me from my voice. And I, do, I believe this to be true. And tell me if you think, if you agree, don't you think after you listen to a podcast, you feel like you know the person? But I, I don't get the same feeling like I have that intimacy with them, even if I see them on video. It's really just the voice. Yeah, I actually feel like I have more of a relationship, even when I don't, with someone I listen to on podcast than if I watch like Kelly and Ryan in the morning. I mean, you totally. know, I, I can watch a celebrity on a video and it's like, oh, there's a celebrity on a video. But if I'm listening to a celebrity or a non-celebrity on a podcast, it's like, oh, I, I kind of get their vibe. So I think what you're talking about is, is right on. I agree. So remember the analogy I said about the CEOs about depth, right? Dis, dis, disparate, uh, disparate sort of um, uh, dispersed energy, if you will. Well, this means that you have so much energy. There's nothing else to focus on that you can go deeper. You're doing deeper listening, deeper connecting. And I believe that that's just the law of the universe. So that is why it creates this like really cool human connection. So to me, when you go on, on, on podcast or on Clubhouse, if you're there to serve and to help other people, you start creating um, a following. You start creating connections with other people, even if you're not even, if you just go up and you and you just raise your hand and ask a question. Uh, Brian, who was just uh, co-hosting with me, he raised his hand at two in the morning or something and the VP of Instagram was on there and apparently there's some big deal he's signing. Not, I don't know if it's with Instagram or something else. He'll tell me uh, tomorrow, but it was because he just asked a question and they were so impressed with his question that that went offline and started talking. So to me, what is this your thing, which is unscripted conversations create connections. That is why. Yeah. In fact, I have somebody who's talking to me about speaking at their company meeting because they heard me talk. It wasn't my own room. They heard me talk about conversations don't have scripts. And they're like, I know you're a speaker. Do you have a speech on that? And my answer was, yes, I do. Uh, so let, can I unpack what can I unpack what you're what you're saying? What, why I think that's such a when I heard that I was like I wish I thought of that and I'm and I'm credit you every time I mention it is because conversations have more trust. You think of two things that we've just been talking about. If you want to create action with people, whether it's respond, follow, connect, or whatever, there's two things that have to happen. One is there has to be some sort of level of of uh, consider it like I need to I need to feel an affinity for you, right? So there needs to be some level of connection or, and something of that nature. The second is trust. 
when you have those two things together, when you're going, I kind of like this guy. And that went through conversation. There's no production. There's no script. People have their BS meters so far up right now that as soon as you go to script and, and I just saw an ad on, on uh, Geico that did a fake to zoom, fake to zoom call to try to make it more authentic because now people want to see a dog barking in the background. It's like, to me, the playing field has been leveled. So if you have something to say, some magic within you, I think that, that, Clubhouse is just such a great place to start expressing your voice, practicing your message, and more importantly, having conversations with people. What's magical about it is I call it the pop-up mastermind. In a moment, in that special time, I so wish that some of these were recorded because there were such magical moments, but because you had to be there. And I'm also hearing on when I'm in groups going, do you remember the one that we did two weeks ago? And people are like, oh, I missed it. Like It creates something where you're going, I don't want to miss out on a good conversation. So what's going to happen is it's going to galvanize people who are really articulate, have a lot to offer in offering people big change because you're seeing on real time, people actually having a transformation of their mindset or their thinking. By t- I saw one with Tom. Tom did three of them where he actually, you. so I'm just going to call you out. You did an incredible job. You did three people that showed up on one meeting we did and you changed the way that you described their own business that they've been doing and they left. I could feel it, the energy. They're like, oh my God, thank you. Like now I can see, I can express my business in a different way. That's a transformation. So to me, I, that's where I feel like that arrives there. Well, and the other thing I talk about is that since the pandemic, my personal email, I get a hundred percent more emails a day than I got last January. And a lot of that has to do with, we can't communicate the way we used to, the in-person meetings are gone, and everybody's like, oh no, what will I do? I'll send more newsletters, I'll send more offers, I'll just send more bulk emails. So another comment I use along with conversations don't have scripts is that we need more personal and less broadcast. And that's why I think that it works in Clubhouse because a conversation by its nature has to be personal. If somebody raises their hand and comes onto the stage, even the people listening become part of that conversation. Like if, if you're in a bar at a conference, having a conversation, it's not a one-way thing. Rarely in the bar do you see one person speaking to 200. That That's the way it is in the ballroom. But in the bar, you end up with these conversation clusters of two to eight people. And even if there's three people talking and five listening, they're still part of the conversation. And I think that personal nature of it is why Clubhouse is working so well. So my final part of that long ass question I asked you is, do you think for the CEO of a company having a weekly Clubhouse just to talk about their expertise and sort of hold office hours would be a good idea when it came to this whole idea of marketing? Yeah, it's like, I don't want to make a general prescription because every business is different, but it certainly would connect them to the voice or the direction, especially if they're they're trying to aim to create some galvanizing impact, then you could get people around it. You could get new ideas. I mean, I think it's depends on the person um, and their outcome would be my right answer. But I guess generally speaking, yeah, of course, I, I, I think it would be incredible for them to do it. Um, I think I would first recommend listening and, and being a good listener and follower and supporter and then defining what is it that you want to create or co-create Co-creation is when sometimes if you're the CEO, you're always aimed at being the leader. What might work really well for you is how can I co-create? What other leaders can I collaborate with, including my employees? Going back to the culture, like what if you Heck, including use that your platform? competitors? I just kind of thought, like, wouldn't that be yeah. an interesting competition? Yeah, yeah, competition. Right? It demonstrates strength when you're that way. I think that this the if if. I'm just going to throw a little weird thing with there. Like I'm from Canada, so I'm not from the States, but all the discourse that's in the, in the United States, it kind of makes me wonder, like, 
the whole saying about it's it, it's you're not supposed to speak about politics or um, uh, uh, money at the family table or or in, in front of family and friends. Well, if you don't learn how to navigate those conversations, then when is it a good time? And, and I think that maybe that might be a part of the reason is we don't know how to talk to each other. So I believe that this is creating a I'm 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 finding more empathy because there's things even my own my own preconceptions and my uh, beliefs are changing because I'm hearing from somebody. I'm like, I never thought of that. And it's because maybe in other mediums, I'm seeing it, but I'm judging it. And in this, I'm listening to what they're saying and having a dialogue with them. I'm like, oh, you know, I never thought of that. So I feel like what it's doing is it's really softening my my uh, mindset. And my empathy meter is going up. And I thought I was pretty empathetic, but I, I feel now I'm like, I got a long ways to go. So I think that'll be a really good outcome for a CEO. And you bring up a, another interesting thing is if you're going to get on the app, start by listening. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I didn't, I don't raise my hand in a lot of rooms because you know what? I don't have to talk in every conversation. And maybe that's a lesson I didn't learn when I was younger. Maybe that's something I'm learning as I get older. But I go into a lot of rooms on topics that I don't know anything about and, and maybe shouldn't be talking about. I've gone into a lot of diversity and inclusion rooms. And I just sit, I listen for two hours as, you know, people talk about race relations in the United States. And that's not an area that I necessarily need to be the person raising his hand every time. Now, if I had something really important to add, sure, I'm not shy, I will. But there's a lot of rooms where this isn't the time for Tom to be on stage. Maybe that's time for me to be in the audience. Uh, I've also done it in some rooms on some things around like uh, psychedelics, because I know that's really big out in the Silicon Valley. And I I don't know anything about that. So I went into a room and I just listened for an hour. They invited me to the stage and I declined because what am I going to say? I don't know. But uh, it's 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 fascinating when you can listen in on things that are out of your area of expertise and not have to chime in. And so it's a good way to learn the app is spend a couple of days listening, then host your own room or raise your hand. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like I was on one for cryptocurrency and I was on for four or five hours. And I'm like, I learned more in those five hours than I've done in years. It was incredible. And it's because there was like someone's perspective and asking a question. I'm like, hey, I, I, that's a question I would have asked. I never thought of it, but you know, so that's what's different about maybe um, that's why podcasting is so well is because people are hearing you and us, you and I having a conversation. This has a little bit more intensity because it can be a little bit more um, you have a panel and, and people can, can come up. And what comes through to me is if you think you, you're just going to try to game the system and show up and raise your hand because you want to get more people to follow you and get, pay attention to you, I can spot those people every time that they open their mouth. So can everyone else in the room. And that's why I think I love it is because it's sort of like a, it's a it's like you everybody can hear the truth of whatever it is your intention is. Well, Scott, we've gone on uh, a long time and, and we could probably make this a two hour podcast. We could be like Joe Rogan. We could have like a two, three hour podcast for sure. But uh, I'm going to wrap it up for this episode okay. this time. But if someone's listening and they're like, hey, this Scott Martin guy, Tom's right. He didn't sell it short. This guy's awesome. Must find him and find out about his upcoming book or find out about the consulting he does. Where do they find you and Groundswell? I would recommend going to, I, I have a podcast called the Groundswell Marketing Podcast. Uh, just type in groundswellpodcast.com. And if you're looking for me, uh, groundswell.marketing is my URL for my business. And Scott Martin, uh, Groundswell Marketing, type those in any social channel. Uh, you'll find me. I'm pretty hard to miss. Awesome. Well, I hope you and I can continue to co-create and to uh, get to know each other better. I, I, I've really enjoyed the, the handful of conversations that we've had over the last few days uh, getting to know each other. And I appreciate the the uh, clubhouse for putting the social back in social media because uh, I've met you and, and maybe a dozen other people who are just awesome. So thank you for being here on Making Waves at Sea Level. Any last words for the audience? 
Yeah, I think the last word I'd say is is like, man, yeah, I mean, how lucky you listen to Tom. Like, I've just gotten to know you, and I'm just absolutely uh, excited that we started this relationship and and the way that it's naturally come. But the last thing I just say is again, just reiterate, you know, just have patience and be kind to yourself. Like, kind of think a little bit more about the process and just enjoy the journey of becoming. That's it. If I could leave anybody with that, it's like if you just enjoy the journey of becoming and changing, you're not getting too caught up on on, uh, you know, comparing yourself to other people. And I think that will create massive growth for you. Well, Scott, again, thank you for being here. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every episode. If it wasn't for the audience, why would I do this podcast? I appreciate you. And I appreciate those of you who tell friends about the show. Whenever I meet someone and said, how did you find my podcast? They say, oh, my neighbor, my boss, my brother, my mother, my somebody told me this. What this uh, one person told me your podcast sucks less than others. And I thought that, if that I'll take that. If that's the compliment we're getting, uh, we'll, we'll take that every single week, twice a week. I try to bring interesting interviews with uh, people who are making waves and and doing cool things like scott is so tune in in a couple days we'll be back with somebody else just as cool as scott i know you're thinking how is that possible but if you're a regular listener you know we do it every time Uh, in the meantime go out there flex your business muscles make sure your career ladder is against the correct wall because you don't want to climb the career ladder like i did for a long time to get to the top and find out well this sucks and then have some fun while you're out there enjoy the journey and have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.